0: All right, from the Finger Lakes One.com studio in Seneca Falls, I'm Josh D'Urso, and this is Inside the Finger Lakes. Today on the show, uh, Michael Crocker. He is the executive director for Unshackle Upstate, a business advocacy group based in Albany. Michael, uh, welcome back to the program. Good to be with you, Josh. Uh, So give us a little bit of a nutshell of what it is you guys do, sort of what Unshackle Upstate looks like on the day-to-day.
1: Absolutely. Unshackle Upstate is a business and taxpayer advocacy coalition. Our members are primarily large upstate New York regional chambers of commerce. We advocate for pro-upstate business and taxpayer issues in the state capital uh, with a premise on making upstate New York a more affordable place to live and a stronger place to do business. No doubt uh, the population decline in our communities is of paramount concern to us. So advocating for policies that will kind of reverse that trend and get upstate New York growing.
0: And of course, we are going to talk uh, later on this half hour uh, about what sort of the focal points have been for you guys policy-wise this year. Um, But we can't really have this conversation right now without uh, at least uh, talking briefly about the coronavirus and and the impact that that's sort of had. First, um, what has that done to sort of your day-to-day and how that sort of evolved?
1: Yeah, I... I I was speaking to a group earlier today, and I said, that's the 800-pound gorilla in the room. It's uh, involved in every conversation. Um, We were in the Capitol on Tuesday advocating for issues, and it was a ghost town. Tuesdays are usually a mob scene in Albany. You've got thousands and thousands of advocates during budget season making their case. Uh, We were one of a few groups in the Capitol, and you can definitely feel uh, a culture change, but... Also, in the businesses I talk to, businesses are starting to feel the impact. It's not just evident in people's 401ks and their, you know, their brokerage accounts. Small businesses on Main Street are starting to feel a pinch. Uh, by you know, as people are self-isolating, uh, they're not going out to eat. They're not going to the movies. They're not traveling for conferences. I saw a story yesterday. A hotel in Buffalo lost uh, eighty thousand dollars in a single day because an entire uh, conference canceled. So uh, the economic impact of this is going to be significant. It's an evolving situation, but I think it's one that we've never encountered before.
0: It, is there any element of because this is one of the things that's crossed my mind a couple times since all this has been happening? People talk frequently about how how upstate New York kind of lacks a a good strong voice in Albany, uh, just because of the numbers. Um, does does this kind of situation lend itself to potentially uh, upstate being forgotten in a new way that maybe we haven't seen before? And do you have any concerns on that
1: front? I, I certainly hope not. Obviously, we are one state. And I think uh, if there's anybody that's supposed to sort of carry that mantle in a situation like this, it is the governor. Right now, a lot of the attention has been downstate just because that's where the cases are. Uh But, you know, as we're talking, there are two counties in upstate New York holding press conferences announcing cases in their counties, in Albany and in Monroe County. So it's coming. Uh, I think the leadership's got to be, you know, out of Albany, has to be statewide. This can't just be a New York City issue. Obviously, this is a, a virus that thrives on density, and density is primarily in the five boroughs but uh, this is going to impact upstate just as hard and uh we're going to have to deal with it so our hope is uh that, that leadership comes you know from the governor and from our elected representatives
0: uh so policy wise uh, what have been sort of the focal points that that uh, unshackle has looked at this year and taken on this year and has the the coronavirus concerns uh either sort of aligned with some of those issues naturally, or has that created an element of you guys needing to sort of bring a couple new ideas that maybe weren't in the fold before into the focal point?
1: Yeah, it's, it's been interesting. So our, our main agenda items for this year are, uh, based on the budget, are uh, fighting for small business tax cuts, which we are thrilled to see the governor include in his budget, opposing a prevailing wage mandate, which unfortunately is in his budget. We talked about last time I was on your show, Uh, fighting against new health care or taxes on private health insurance plans, which will ultimately impact uh, individual consumers. But also uh, going into the year, we were concerned about new mandates on New York's employers. And in the governor's budget, he included a paid sick leave proposal, a new program for paid sick leave. And obviously this is an issue that's taken on new life under, uh, you know, the umbrella of coronavirus and what that means, but we still remain concerned. Actually, we just issued a memo uh, to the legislature and executive yesterday emphasizing the point that these two issues should be treated separately. I have no doubt that the leadership in Albany is going to have to do something to address this current crisis, as they should. Uh, We don't want anybody to be uh, impacted financially because of this, Either employees or business owners, uh, but there is going to be life after this crisis. Hopefully, that's sooner rather than later. But we don't want to see this used as an opportunity to rush through a permanent paid sick leave program that would impact our business climate well into the future, long after coronavirus has hopefully been uh, swept away. It's it's interesting because
0: the the reaction seems to have been thus far. Uh, really focused on the paid sick leave part, so I want to I want to dive in there a little more. Sure, um, you've on one hand got a a state that's facing a budget deficit, and you have small business owners who are saying, "Look, we just we can't shoulder this. We can't afford to do this without making customers pay more, or potentially having to cut staff, or whatever the case may be." Um, what is the 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 happy medium, I guess, from from Unshackles' perspective, or what's the answer if you have these two realities that that are clearly they're they're meeting at this center point in paid sick leave, and there doesn't seem to be a good clear answer on how to
1: execute. No doubt about it, it's a, it's a complicated issue because I I don't think you can say to an employee, you know, you can't come into work because you're under a 14-day quarantine. Too bad, no, you know, no help for you. I get that. Uh, But I also don't think you can say to a business owner who's already feeling the effects of coronavirus because of a a decrease in occupancy of his business, his or her business, and then say, oh, by the way, on top of that, you have to pay your employees who can't come into work. Um, So there's got to be some balance struck. I I don't necessarily know that I have the answer. I think the employer community would be eager to discuss that. Uh, I read an interesting column from Bob Confer, who owns a manufacturing business in uh, North Tonawanda, and it writes for a a local paper where he had talked about should the state utilize the unemployment insurance fund and and treat this as an unemployment event where individuals would be able to access that that fund. Could they maybe pass a policy that would allow people to tap into that for coronavirus? And that would be, I think, a happy medium, perhaps, that would allow individuals to get access to uh, pay Mm -hmm. without burdening employers. No doubt I'm sure insurance fund premiums would go up, but it would be far cheaper than saying we need you to pay employees who can't come into work.
0: And and obviously that that is one of the one of the concepts that I've also heard floated, but it, it, it I'm curious. The wheels of government always move slowly and and getting and accessing funds like unemployment mm-hmm. take time and if if someone were to basically be sent home because they they have the coronavirus or they tested positive or they just have to self quarantine there's going to be a lag in the system does there need to to base i guess maybe the better question is is this a good example of why government shouldn't necessarily be involved in these types of things and instead making it easier for businesses to do it themselves?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I I don't know what the answer is there. It's it's obviously a very complicated thing. I do think maybe this is an area where this is why we have government, because I think somebody's got to help facilitate this in a coordinated way. Uh, You know, it's maybe an odd example, but as I saw the NBA cancel their season, I also saw Mark Cuban talking about not just the players, but all of the employees who work at the stadiums who are now going to go without a paycheck, and should the league look at some sort of a program? For those individuals who are now displaced yeah. and without a pay so something no doubt has to be done this is a crisis like we probably will not have ever encountered uh, but I also just think from our perspective it should not be an opportunity then to sort of jam through quickly a uh, a permanent paid sick leave program uh, tourism big
0: big big deal for upstate New York especially in here in the Finger Lakes uh, Central New York and even Western New York in the southern tier um, are you hearing from uh, folks in the small business community in that sector, not just immediate sort of short-term concerns, but maybe some of the, the concerns as we head into what would be you know prime season, spring, warmer weather, and summer?
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. I, you're already starting to see uh, counties report lower sales tax. For tourism-dependent counties, that's going to be an even bigger deal. Yeah. Uh, I think you're going to see as you've now got travel restrictions and Mm -hmm. and other concerns uh, that county governments, small businesses that rely on tourism are going to be disparately impacted. So uh, it's a concern we have for sure. I think it's part of why it's important that everybody seek out accurate information during this situation so that they know what's real and what's not, and they can make responsible decisions. If it's safe to travel, you should feel free to do so. But... Um, no doubt about it, in the tourism industry and, and in upstate New York, where that's such an important part of our our, of our fabric in diverse areas, Western New York, the Finger Lakes, Adirondacks, across the state, tourism is an important industry. Uh, I think you're going to see uh, a, a big hit.
0: Lowering taxes on small businesses. Obviously, a, a small win through the, the governor's proposal. Um, But a lot of small businesses and what we're hearing and seeing in our reporting, especially in some of the more rural communities in upstate, they're saying, look, it's, it's not even close to enough. It's not even going to move the needle for us in the grand scheme of things because of the other changes that are also happening in the background. Yeah. Where, what is the ideal situation? What is the ideal result to see? And where could some meaningful cuts for small businesses be made? So that Albany
1: isn't applying as much pressure? Obviously, we never want to look at gift force in the mouth. Small business tax cuts are are a positive thing, and we applaud the governor for including that in his budget. A couple things on his proposal. We've actually uh, been lobbying to broaden his proposal. If you look at what the governor's proposed in the executive budget, it's about a 1.5% tax decrease for small businesses that organizes C Corps, which is a limited number of the state's small businesses. The overwhelming majority. Uh, organized in different forms, S-Corps, LLPs, LLCs, and sole proprietorships and other things. So part one of that, to answer your question, would be we've advocated for a piece of legislation that's been introduced, sponsored by Senator Kaplan and Assemblyman Schiminger that would broaden that uh, small business tax cut to all small businesses of any classification. So that's obviously an immediate thing that we're lobbying on. But to your, to your point about it's not enough, I, we hear that all the time. Yeah. It's not just New York State's tax climate, which is no doubt a challenge. It's all of the other things that go into running a business that add up for employers. I always tell people every new mandate or every new regulation, while probably well-intended, adds on top of the already burdensome regulatory structure we have in New York. And it's kind of what you would call the death by a thousand cuts that you know you have— even as we're talking about uh, paid sick leave 2 years ago they passed paid family leave the year after that they passed voting paid time off now this year they're looking to add paid sick leave take all of those on their uh, individually they're a burden add all three together and it becomes even more challenging and that's then you've got ever increasing workers compensation costs and and insurance funds and you name it so it's very difficult to run a business in New York state not just because of our tax climate and I think it's got to be a holistic approach. What can mm-hmm. we do to make it easier for businesses to succeed here?
0: What have you heard in terms of reactions since the plastic bag ban has has taken hold? Obviously, we saw that the, the DEC is effectively going to hold off on fining mm-hmm. uh, until April 1st, but we're almost to April 1st. Um, what has been the sort of pulse on the ground
1: since that became reality on March 1? I think that there's a little bit of a some growing pains, no doubt about it. I, You know, I hear from individuals all the time that they're just not accustomed to it. Obviously, there's a transition in consumer behavior that has to take place. I know when this was first being discussed last year, I mean, it's been discussed, but when it was kind of moving last year, my thought was that they should allow for a phased-in approach, allow companies to start charging 10 cents one year, 25 cents the next year, kind of to build up some costs while you're doing customer education, Uh because I think so many people are sort of caught off guard when they walk into a Wegmans or they walk into a a Tops, and they're told, sorry, we don't offer plastic bags anymore. Uh, But, you know, all those things have have a cost. I know this year what they're talking about doing is banning uh, styrofoam products, polystyrene products. And for us, that's a challenge on two fronts. Just down the road here in Canada, well, you've got a large polystyrene manufacturer that employs, I I think 400 people yep. uh, at that at that factory. Uh, that's a significant uh, amount of jobs in Ontario County that doesn't have a lot of private sector employment. Uh, but then there's also the downstream impact, and what does that mean for restaurants and food service companies that currently purchase polystyrene product? It's very cheap. The alternative products are very are sometimes three, four, five times as expensive. So when we talk about what are the other challenges for businesses, well here's a product ban that could potentially increase costs for small restaurants. The large guys, Dunkin' Donuts and others, they've been able to absorb that cost. And that's not to say it's not an impact on them, but they've got economies of scale. Small businesses don't often have that option. And anytime you're cutting into their margin, you're going to have a big impact.
0: Does it feel like that this, as far as going next level to styrofoam, does it actually feel like that is something that has enough energy to get it to get through this year I,
1: I wouldn't be surprised I mean I certainly think that there's a couple misconceptions about the polystyrene industry in general in the legislature uh, a belief that this product can't be recycled which is is not true in fact we participated in a, an advocacy day with some industry folks and one of the gentlemen that we were with runs a, a styrofoam recycling center in uh, Cohoes, New York, in in the capital region, and he recycles hundreds of thousands of pounds of polystyrene a year. I mean, when you think about how light styrofoam is, a (laughs) couple hundred thousand pounds of it means he's recycling a lot of product. Uh, But no doubt, I I think as Albany sort of shifted more to the progressive side of things, these types of bands are are popular (coughs) with the environmental community, so it's a challenge to you know, try to re-educate and explain why it's not necessarily sound policy.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the, the changes in farm labor. A- and one, I think for a lot of folks who, who actually aren't working in the ag business, it, they, the changes are kind of foreign to them. They don't really understand like, what the X's and O's of it are. What's the reality of the changes that not only happened last year, but some of those that, are, that seem like they are going to be fully implemented this <coughs> year as well?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's important to step back and recognize where our agriculture industry is today. This is a very competitive, very challenging industry to be in. You're competing globally, so you're already up against it. Uh, but last year, New York State imposed new regulations on farmers uh, that included things like the ability for their workers to collectively bargain, a mandatory day of rest in a seven-day work week, <clears throat> and a new threshold on overtime that they sit, set at 60 hours. Most farmers work, you know, in a short growing season, could be working 80 hours. And uh, now they're going to be required to pay their employees overtime after 60. <coughs> Excuse me. But uh, now they're looking at even considering lowering that threshold to 40, which is far too soon. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry, Josh. Sorry. So we 've been working with Farm Bureau and other ag industry folks to make sure we make the case that it 's way too early to be considering lowering that threshold and you 're going to really hurt the ag industry mm-hmm. how close <coughs> I'm really curious about this because this
0: is the ag industry has been struggling it seems for a number of years more so recently, um, but how close is that industry to sort of like a breaking point where we start to see significant changes in terms of like the composition of some of the the farms that are local and are locally operated.
1: I think you're already starting to see it. Uh, you're seeing farms switch to change their crop to more high margin uh, crops, which means we're gonna have less diversity in our ag industry. New York State's got really, when you think about it, outside maybe in the city they might have a hard time appreciating this, but most of New York State is rural. Most of New York State. Is agricultural and it's the leading industry in the state of New York and we have a very diverse industry we've got great apple growers we've got well, excellent crops we've got a robust dairy industry you're gonna see it sort of change over the years you're starting to see it even somewhat on the renewable side where a lot of farmers are giving up their their farmland for crop and saying you know what it's actually just more profitable for me to put solar panels up here so yeah. the industry is under strain already I think that these new regulations are going to have a big impact. It would just be such a shame for New York State to lose our ag identity. Uh, I was just speaking with an individual who owns a, uh, a cheese uh, uh, sto- store here uh, mm-hmm. in, uh, I think, in Waterloo. Um, transitioned out of dairy into uh, hosting a, a, t- a cheese tasting room. And uh, that's such a, a unique thing. It supports the tourism industry. Yeah. Uh, and to lose that would be a real shame.
0: Uh, and, and another uh, flashpoint, it seems, especially for local officials in some of these rural communities, um, infrastructure. Mm-hmm. infrastructure, 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 infrastructure. Um, roads, tough shape, um, never seems to be enough funding, whether it's coming from the federal government or the state government. Um, also, water, sewer, and now adding broadband into the mix as mm-hmm. well. Um, what are some of the priorities that you guys are hearing or or desires, I guess, from small business owners who are, or you know, fighting with these issues on a daily basis?
1: Our, our big thing that at Unshackle Upstate is parity, right? Mm-hmm. You've got a, a robust public infrastructure system in the city of New York, um, and, and obviously that comes with costs, and we heard a lot over the last couple of years, but all the challenges with the, the subway system in the city, and uh, that was getting a lot of attention. But we have real infrastructure concerns in upstate New York that need to be addressed because they cost drivers, millions and millions of dollars each year, whether it's issues with their vehicles, safety on uh, roads and bridges. Uh, and you mentioned, I think one of the two maybe big underreported issues in infrastructure is your waste sewer infrastructure and broadband. I consider those both both uh, infrastructure issues. Those need to be critically addressed, and there's a tremendous cost to that. So uh, f- for small businesses, if you don't have broadband, it's very hard to operate a small business. If you don't have a good road for you to get to your your company, it's very hard to operate a business. So I believe infrastructure is a business issue. It is a taxpayer issue, um, but it needs to be certain that New York State funds upstate infrastructure at the same level that they fund uh, the city. We're just under half the state's population. We deserve that attention.
0: What uh, Another question that, that pops up a lot on social media. It seems to be underreported in the sense that we don't hear uh, or we don't see as many stories about it, but it seems to be pretty prevalent within the business community, the struggle to find employees, Mm -hmm. Uh, workforce and workforce development. We hear a lot uh, of sort of the buzzwords from state officials and even local officials and saying, you know, we're working on workforce development. This is a priority for us. But a lot of employers especially you know i can think of a few right here in Seneca County and Ontario County and Wayne County who are are struggling mightily with trying and they have many if not dozens of openings in different areas and they're they're not able to fill them so how have you guys sort of taken that baton and and helped some of the the folks in this in this space deal with it
1: it it is one of the biggest things we hear from employers is access to to people, talent, yeah. uh, trying to fill the vacancies that they have. You'd have. You've got record low unemployment right now, so that automatically is going to strap the labor pool uh, for individuals who are qualified to work on a job. Uh, we've advocated for a couple different things. One, we believe in employer-led workforce development. It's very easy for Albany kind of do a top-down investment in workforce development, but if you're not meeting the needs of the Finger Lakes of the North Country of Western New York... What good is the investment in workforce training? So we believe that the best model of workforce is bottom-up. Let the local employer community work with the educational centers in their community and say, what kind of curriculums do we need to be teaching to get the workers ready for the jobs that are in this community? Uh, Let some companies here... In Seneca County work with the local community college to, to say these are the gaps that we have these are the jobs we're trying to fill help teach the students those skills so they can come work for us because we got jobs waiting for them uh, but the other issue with workforce development is population loss mm-hmm. uh, a lot of our skilled workforce frankly has just left for better opportunities in other states so uh, my own my main concern with workforce development training is what good is New York State, is it for New York State to spend all this money training somebody for them to say, thank you very much. I'm headed to North Carolina. I'm headed to Tennessee. I'm headed to Florida. Um, So I think, you know, it always comes back to this for me is that we have to make sure we're improving the climate in New York State, making the state more affordable. So people want to stay here and people can stay here. There's jobs available, but if we're training somebody and then they're saying, well, see you later, uh, what good do we do? What, What did we accomplish?
0: A lot of negativity out there, especially with with some of the the population loss numbers and things like that. It's a census year. I can't imagine that the news is going to be good come twenty twenty one when that when that is uh, ultimately released and completed. What is it though? What. Give us a couple things that do make you optimistic about what's going on in upstate New York, whether it's on the policy side or just in terms of the people that we see who are making something sure. happen. Here. You know
1: it, you know I, I, have a, I have a tricky job because a lot of what I do is to talk about the problems that we have in the state, but what I enjoy is I get to advocate for a community that I love. I mean I grew up in upstate New York. Uh, I travel upstate New- across upstate New York all the time. I think what gives me optimism is the things that I'm seeing local communities do to improve uh, their circumstances. Uh, I look at the city of Binghamton. We work very closely with the Binghamton Chamber of Commerce. That's an area of the state that has been crushed by years and years of bad policy decisions by Albany and changes in you know, global marketplaces. But if you go to downtown Binghamton right now, it's a totally different place, and that's been driven— largely by uh, the local community saying, we're going to change our situation and we're going to improve our community. You see it in the Finger Lakes. I mean, you've got a robust tourism industry. Ontario County, just, just across the county line here, is one of the few counties in upstate New York that's actually got positive population growth. Right. Uh, and I think that's largely being driven by them taking advantage, and Seneca County is enjoying this too, taking advantage of their resources and saying, we're a great tourist destination. Come to the lake, come to our wineries, come to our cideries, or breweries, and enjoy the great outdoors in upstate New York. The North Country's benefiting from that as well. So uh, I believe that we have great assets in upstate New York. I don't think there's probably any place better uh, to grow up and, and to live and to enjoy the, the, the outdoors. It's just about changing, I think, the fundamentals in our state government that will allow these communities to realize their true potential.
0: Michael, as always, appreciate the time. Thanks for coming in. You got it, Josh. Thank you. Thanks for listening or watching. Inside the FLX is a production of Fingerlakes1.com Digital Media. It's presented by FL1 News and hosted by me, Josh Durso. New episodes are released on demand each week on Fingerlakes1.com or the Fingerlakes1.com app. You can also catch episodes anywhere you find podcasts. If you have an idea for an episode or question you'd like answered on the show, visit insidetheflx.com to submit it. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.